We all tell ourselves stories of who we are and why. But we forget that we have the power to define them. That no idea grows from mewling striped cum to teeth at your throat tiger without a little help, some guidance, and a whole lot of love along the way. I am Jared Surf, and this is Here Be Tigers. Well, let me ask you this. Do you, do you have enough of an existing audience for your fiction, not as a teacher and not as a podcaster, but for your fiction, that you can ask them where and how this should be? I could probably get a decent response. I don't know if it would be representative. Does that make sense? Sure. Well, I mean, if it's if it's less than 100 people, then probably not, you know. It's more that I don't know if 100 people would respond. <laughs> I could reach out to more, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> the ones who actually respond. But, but and that's, and again, that's, that's why uh, I think your challenge is going to be creating the you know discovering the audience for this work because as you've described it's 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 not just a straightforward science fiction or fantasy story it's it's something much more deeper and nuanced and that's going to be a challenge of its own yeah i i would i would cast a wide net in a particular pond if you will rather than trying to cast many many fishing rods into many many tide pools let's mix all the metaphors <laughs> I don't know how many times I've either been in a writing class or been teaching a moment like that and stumbled upon the, I knew I was going somewhere with that analogy, but I don't even analogy. <laughs> as long as it's understood, I don't care if it's sloppy. <laughs> you know, I think one of the most fundamentally important things to do with any of these shows where we talk about what it's like to create is to pull back the veil and reveal that it's messy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You, you want to see what a master chef's kitchen looks like? Ask the person who cleans it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ask the sous chef. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I used to try to when I was interviewed, because sometimes I'm in that more creative state of mind where I'm trying verbally on the show to get to wherever my mind was going. And it takes a few loops. But, and I, I used to, you know, be more apologetic about that. I will catch it if I'm aware it's happening. But it's also, I know neurodivergency has become the de rigueur term for it. And there's a certain value to applying that to the way the many ways people think and are now. I think it's useful and helpful for people to understand that there are people who make, who are just as weird as they are. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, the, if fundamentally, it's only weird because people assign the word to it. It's the creative work is always going to be demanding. It's always going to be a question of how do you find how it fits into your life, how you give it the time, space, and memory to be alive, to come to life, and do so without taking away the rest of your life. That's, I think, a challenge we as creatives all deal with over time. I have had to have that actual conversation of, no, I will not answer my phone during these hours mm -hmm. with my clients and dear ones both, because as much as I care about all of you outside of an emergency, I, as I said at the beginning of the show, I literally, how my mind works, cannot make sense of these two at the same time. Right. So for me to be there for you, I can't right now. <laughs> Well, that's 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 actually a, a pretty good segue. Let's let's talk about that. How uh, how are you personally? What are some of your strategies or, or or habits or rituals or what have you to 
carve that space out to create a healthy and sane life and also be able to be productive and fulfilled as an artist. So for me, one of the simplest decisions in terms of how easy it was to think of, although it was difficult to implement it first, I will edit one day and create the other day. I will not do both on the same day because that critical mind will devour whatever the creative one makes before it's ever had a chance to find its own shape. And I, I listen to some of my old recordings and I can hear myself strangling the idea before it arrives at where it might have. <laughs> because some part of me didn't think it felt right. Yeah. And I had to make this deliberate practice to the point where if I feel it, I will stop on the trail, take a breath, and go right rolling back to remind myself of the truths I was immersed in, the sea I'm diving into. You know, I can come up for air anytime I like in the middle of that dive, but I have to be fully immersed, write down what I write, find what I find, and make sense of it later. And knowing that there will be a designated later to make sense of lets that critical state take a nap, go to rest. The probably more obtrusive one is when you think you're done with your writing for the day. I'll get to that, but it's important. My writing day is a ritual of a writing day. I wake up, I take the medication I need to breathe, which unfortunately, because I've been ill for a year, I need to take, and let that work. I go over light reading. I don't do anything, news, politics, any of the stuff that's going to get my critical mind engaged. There's a day and a time for that too. Not today though. And knowing that those have their place is important because most of the act of the ritual of the right is this is what this day and this time is for. And I'm going to deliberately take the things that are not in this space and time and put them where they're supposed to be. Sometimes I have to move that day. Sometimes things occur that I have to address and I have to find a moment to close the book as it were. Hmm. Except, all right, where am I at? Do I know where I'm at? Can I come back to that? But by and large, on the days that I write, the ritual and rites of those days, and it doesn't matter what you do, as long as it's legal, please. <laughs> I'm not giving anyone legal advice, but please don't break the law. But as long <laughs> as you're helping yourself set that time aside, it can be ringing a bell, it can be drinking a cup of tea, it can be emptying out all the thoughts you have before and throwing it out the window, hopefully not hitting your neighbor as they walk the dog. Right. But whatever that act is, it becomes a ritual act that physically embodies I'm separating this space and this time. After I've warmed up, I will grab a book, usually, read it for about 45 minutes to an hour. And that's, for me, important. I have to consume or feed the creative mind, see what other stories are like, how they're made out of put together, be surprised, be delighted, feel everything it'll make me feel. With that aside, transcribe my notes. And this was another important lesson. Don't transcribe the entire hour and a half you recorded before. Because if you do, if I do, I'm just going to rewrite that. Instead, what were the last three lines? Okay. Is there anything before those that I need to know so that when I go on the trail now, I can resume from those three lines and see what happens next? Because again, the point of these days is not to continue what I was, is not to revise what I wrote, is to find what comes after. Right. So what is the emotion, the feel, the beat? Do I know the heart of the scene? Do I know that? Do I not know it, but I see what leads to it? Okay, here are the lines. I watched two 23-minute shows. I know that sounds very anal, but I found for me that's the exact right time. I listen to a little music in between. I get my shoes, my socks, everything I need ready for the hike. If it's bad weather, I get my umbrella or whatever else I need. 
And then I hike for two to three hours. I find what I find. And importantly, as soon as I pick up that recorder, I put down those first three lines and I do not go back. Because whatever I'm talking about is what comes after those lines. And if it's five lines, it's five lines that day. And I just have to accept it because the next day it'll be 30 pages. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It'll be an entire arc. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other. I've lived through both. So I, can, I know that a given day may be a given day, but the next one will be a different one. I come back from the walk. I rest. I shower because it's been hiking on a muddy trail. I need to clean. And weirdly, sometimes that's where things come to me, just that sensory deprivation. Sure. As you're standing in the water thinking nothing. Oh, that. And I record. But as soon as I step out and dry off and get dressed, done. Whatever else I had could wait. So I've been sort of keeping track, and that sounds like about a seven-hour process. It's a day. Yeah. How, my my I guess my question is just situationally, because a lot of people listening are going to have you know, roommates or a spouse or children, or what's your living situation that you're able to carve out an entire day and, and have that respected? I take care of two senior parents, one who's dying. So there are, particularly this past few months, days where nothing works as planned. And I've just had to accept that sure. because that's where things are at. Right. There was a conversation during the last batch of illness, injury, and death where I had to disp- disrupt and suspend all of that. And I said, I need these days to function, not just even, you know, as a writer, but as a human being. Right. So, you know, I will, here are the means you can reach me during that time of need be for important stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll get to it as soon as I can. But outside of that, this is who, this is the time I have and I need for myself to be available to anyone else for the rest of it. And those were negotiations. Those were not just a, I'm not just doing this because this is the book. This is a living thing for me. Right. It's partly why I'm not in a cubicle. To your point, though, you're asking how can people adapt some of that practice to a life that is in need of more 10 to 15 minute practices, right? Essentially. In terms of things. Yeah. And the magic words to, to get others to understand. Yeah. So that's part of the ritual on the right. I will also sometimes be entirely engaged in my regular life and have that moment or thought of, oh, that because the subconscious mind still continues sure of course you need an unobtrusive way to capture that and by unobtrusive i mean one that is not offensive or bothersome <laughs> to other people around you so obviously if you're in the middle of a theater turning your phone on to type on it is not the right answer i did once <laughs> we were i'm blanking on the musical but in the middle of a song it made my mind go in a direction of oh right that emotional beat and this scene leads to that one there. Why couldn't I figure that before? Let me just get that down. And then part of my brain goes, you're shining a light on other people. Go outside first. That's why I have a three by five notebook that I keep in my back pocket. Right. Whatever means is unobtrusive and easy for you, because it's got to be something that you're comfortable doing regularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that when the incidental occurs, you can capture it in a quick, short fashion shorthand if you needed to, or just beats. It doesn't have to be the, and here, here's a good one for you. Don't get fixated on the actual words. Don't think it has to be that line of dialogue, that description, that lyric. It's okay. Get down what it's about, what it's touching upon, the emotion, the beat, the sentiment, whatever fundamental shape will stay the same, even if you revise everything else, right? There are times where I have written a whole chapter in beats and I go back afterwards and it only took five minutes because I had done the rest of it. So 
this is twofold. If you want to be able to be productive in short burst, you need to figure out what's going to give energy into that, provide you with the sustenance for that so that you can set your subconscious to the side, have a question for it to answer. I do this a lot. What is this place like? Why is he doing this in this scene? I'm not looking for a specific answer. I'm just looking for an answer. Yeah, yeah. Allowing it to percolate. Yeah. Yeah. If you like, you can read at night if that's comfortable to you or watch a television show. I often watch TV at night, a show I like. And at least 60% of the time, I pause it to start writing down notes. <laughs> I was watching Daybreak, and they were having a whole lesson on dandelions absorbing radiation. And I went, that's why they're there. Because <laughs> I knew that. It was a random factoid in my brain that had been bouncing around for ages that informed why it was in that scene. Mm. Right. So if that's true, then why else would they be and where else would they be? Da, 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 da. Oh, that's a whole field of them, isn't it? Da, da, da. Okay, back to the show. And that's what's important. If you take nothing else away from that description there, do what you need to feed and sustain it. One, but two, give yourself a simple thing you're trying to address. Is it a beat? Is it a scene? Is it a character? Is it a motion, a feeling? Is it a question? Whatever it is, make it a small, concise thing that either you finally can write down and ask yourself to chew on and contemplate later, or just jot down enough the beats of the notes, the shorthand of. Do you find yourself working in, in or achieving a flow state a lot? I mean, I imagine that that may be the case since so much of you, you, you have the Kevin Anderson method, you know, the, the walking and dictating kind of thing. Uh, does that, uh, is that part of it? Getting that flow state? I've been swimming since I was three and you can swim in the water. You can swim through the water or you can just be there. Right. Mm. And the difference between you fighting your way through it and the part where it moves and you moves and you're going the same way. That's why you do all the work. That's why you do all the prep and the research and everything. Else. Right. That's what I, that's why I was asking. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of prep that you do. And I imagine that you're, you're setting yourself up for that optimal state. And yeah. For, for me, fundamentally, the only things I'm taking with me on the trail are those few beats from the last piece, I was the last recording or session, mm -hmm. and all of the truths that, are ma that matter in that moment. World story characters, what's true, what matters here. And I don't need to remember the whole world history and currency of... No, yeah. Unless it comes up in a scene, in which case I have it there. I've written it down. I've got it in a note. I have it in an episode. I might not recall all of it. Yeah, you can always fill in the blanks later. Yeah. Yeah. Have it down, right? I, I once had a professor ask me, I don't know, you keep all this chaos in your mind. And all I could say to him was, it's not. <laughs> you know, it, it might seem or sound like it, but if you ask me why a full worth is not as valuable a coin as an advent and the history of that, I know. I didn't need to know for a long time, but it became important in a scene. And then I literally had to ask myself, why? <laughs> And in the middle of a flow of writing a scene about two people sitting down to tea, I got the why. Just in time world building, yeah. They were talking about the coinage. I don't even remember because it's, you know, 30-some chapters ago I'm talking <laughs> about. I'd have to go to my notes. But it mattered in the scene. And I had struggled so often with that scene because I tried. This is, this is important here. This is why I talk hard at the scene. I tried to put too many things into the scene that didn't need to be there. Yeah. So knowing the heart of the scene, when in my flow, this talk about coinage and faith and history and worth and value in the society came up, yeah, you can have that fear of a writer of, well, that's neat, but does it belong here? 
If it leads or follows from the heart of the scene, the answer is yes. If you don't know the heart of the scene, keep going. It might take you there or have gone from. Sometimes I can write three quarters of the scene without knowing, and it takes me till the very end. Mm -hmm. Other times I have that watching a television show, and, oh, this is what that scene's about. Research. However you go about doing your research, it can be in big amounts, it can be in small amounts, but be deliberate in what you ask and what you're trying to answer and the means you use to capture and record that so that when you go back to it, you have the truths of world story and character there in a way that's accessible to you when you're not in the critical mind, the one that puts building blocks together, but the creative one instead that just wants to fly. Obviously, if you're one of those folks who plans everything, that's not as important. But in that case, you're doing the research at a different time. Yeah, yeah. It's all, everybody plans. It's just when the planning happens. Yeah. Yeah. And fundamentally, it's for how you work, Mm -hmm. right? So anything we say or advise here, you need to try for yourself and refine. Yeah. One of the primary things I do with clients is talk process. I had one who I sat down with and said, okay, the writing is giving you anxiety. You're coming up upon themes that bother you afterwards that are giving you nightmares, right? So you need to separate the work from your life at the end of the day. So you're not taking it with you when you go to bed. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not going to go into what the nightmares are about. I'm just going to talk about this in terms of the creative work. It's bothering you after it should have stopped, right? You're not separating from it. So we came up with a few different exercises to let her identify what were her thoughts and what were her character's thoughts, so that she didn't have to carry all they were feeling with her at the end of the day. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mirror neurons uh, run amok. <laughs> it's hard. Mm-hmm. There have been moments I have had to write that rendered me speechless because of what happened and why. And I have to describe that so I can't stay there. <laughs> yeah. But the the raw emotionality of it, we have to, as the artist, provide in a way that doesn't lose the integrity of it, but also allows the audience, reader, viewer, player, however, whatever medium you're in that they're experiencing it in, to feel it, to know it, to hear it, and make that part of their life. I have certain qualms about N.K. Jemison's The Broken Earth series from a technical point. I think there are certain things about the way it's written that I it don't work for me. But the beginning of that book is one of those openings that grabs you by the heart and doesn't let go. <laughs> and that's beautiful. Yeah, she's she's an author that's been recommended that I read uh, to find sort of the simpatico uh, audience and sub 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 genre for to targeting my own my own work. Oh sure, her her fiction is probably like yours. If you read the city we became, which is Lovecraftian horror about racial politics, <laughs> which seems to be a thing these days, the the, the Lovecraft and uh, horror uh, mixed with the racial politics thing, it's uh, almost in the zeitgeist now. I think the existential horror is, is an effort in some way to try to capture how hard it is for people who don't live it to see it. Yeah, because you're experiencing a world that no one else believes in, <laughs> right? On the nose. That's it. Yep. Yep. And they're telling you isn't real and doesn't matter. Yeah. And yet the walls are crawling. (laughs) And it's a, we talked about possible worlds on our previous episode. 
the idea of how to envision and cogitate different ways of being so that we can understand better our own or use them as a, a null hypothesis because we can't actually verify most of what we'd like to. So we can play around with what isn't to see what might. Mm. And it sounds weird, but that's part of how the mind tries to navigate and revise the stories it tells itself of how we are and the way life is and how we survive it. And, you know, I said this, the New Media Summit, probably, God, four or five years ago, we all tell ourselves stories of who we are and why. What we forget is that we have the power to define them. And fiction or not, you can learn how to by engaging in that work. If Even if you're never going to exist in a world where you can literally or figuratively be on fire, God, I hope not, <laughs> or your dreams come to life, literally, and without you fully there cognizant to define, that loss of control that shortened life, the things people do or don't think of you because of what you and their world are like for them, those transcend the, the smaller narrative truths that make the story work. You know, I've talked a little bit about Adam and his father, but I'll never forget chapter four where Connor comes to visit him and, and demands they try one last time, and Adam's family insists either he doesn't or that if he does, they're going with him. And there's a few beats before it where he's trying to explain what it's like to not be the father his father was to his son, mm -hmm. a man who deeply cared but was not good about it. Yet there's a world that is not going to treat this child well, and he'd rather he not go out and do it. So he feels the urge to lie and dissemble and convince him it's not worth the time and the effort to go and see the, what the rest is like, which is what his family did to him. Right. And he hates it. But he feels like he has to, and he hates it. I can't say exactly the line, but I sat there afterwards as he... It was a moment where I had a better sense of him, right? But also I'd seen that so many of my friends who have children now have that same sensation, that feeling occur. Where, as John Hodgman said, and I think his book Vacation Land, we're all going to fuck up our children in ways we don't think we did. Right. Yes. You know, we can plan for all the ones we know we're not going to, and then we'll do it anyway. Yeah. And... There's that weird moment of fear, hesitation, and acceptance of knowing that it's inevitable that's so hard to put into words. And it wasn't a scene I'd expected to write, but there it was in chapter four of the book, along with the realization that Adam's family is coming not to be safe because he'll protect them, but because he needs them to keep him grounded. He might be physically sound, but mentally he's, hey, he's just a bunch of dandelions in the wind. <laughs> Absorbing all that radiation. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. He's, it's a wonder he still walks and goes and does the rest of his life. <laughs> and that his wife and child know that and realize that he, will, he can't be who he is without them there to provide him with that grounding was a moment where I had to put aside who I thought they were for who they are. And that you can't force those to happen, but you can do the research, you can practice, you can... Create your rituals and allow yourself to capture that when it arrives. So that when you do have the time, my long-winded answer, I guess, <laughs> when you do have the time to go over everything, it will be there and ready for you. Right. Very good. And you're, I know that you've, you've alluded to some illnesses that you've had and some injuries that you've had. And what's what's been, I mean, this might be an overly simplistic question, but what's been the the biggest challenge in kind of, I imagine there was some 
creative derailment and what's been the challenge and how have you managed to get back on track and keep to these rituals, uh, incorporating recovery and, and regaining strength and things like that. So this will probably sound like a little bit of a litany, but in the course of about five, six years with 2010s when I had the shoulder surgery and that was severely traumatic. I lost my job shortly after that. I had to graduate grad school, moved back home, didn't want to be back home, but was couldn't afford anywhere else. And trying to be a writer in a world that you've left behind is not a life that you yeah, works well. Yeah. Where is that space? You know, what I'm, I'm not talking about making space, memory, and time from a place of having had it always, right? These were things that I had to learn to ask for and to provide for myself because I hadn't before. And from 2015 on, but my remaining grandparents died. I couldn't see them because I was suffering from a spinal injury and recovery, and they weren't sure if I was, if the vertigo and migraines, et cetera, I was, I had at the time were a consequence of aneurysms or anything else that would prevent me from travel. So my, my grandmother died without me ever seeing her. The, my two foster grandparents died in fairly quick succession. I was able to go to the funeral of one of them, but not the other. And my last words to my grandmother were lying about my father's health because he had had sepsis on my birthday and nearly died. Then five weeks later, he was run over by a vehicle and broke 88 bones in his body. Wow. And This was all 2015? 15, 16, yeah. 17. Mm. Recovered from that, the spinal injury. His, his actions were toward the end of me recovering from spinal injury. I had literally just finished physical therapy for that. Mm. Or having had the injury for a year and change and had the surgery. These were cervical injury cervical spine so right in the neck mm-hmm. which meant i i was in such severe pain that trying to work at a tablet or read a book oh yeah was, yeah the, the 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 neck neck pain is is i i think it's worse than than back pain uh in the in the thankfully limited experience i have with it it's because it's uh it, you don't know whether to to move or not move <laughs> and and neither one works for long there were days where i could feel the vertebrae grinding yeah. against each other yeah it's just there's a pain your brain doesn't understand because it's not supposed to happen <laughs> so it has no context for how to react and i mean your your shoulder injury your spinal injury are, are you uh are you, is it extreme sports what's going on there jared <laughs> as i said earlier in the show i was a preemie two months my ligaments are ah, okay loose right right and therefore they're vulnerable gotcha gotcha so one they're both falls at different times but one was the neck was a slip and fall on ice which is bad i lost consciousness for a fair amount of time and as we discovered a couple, last year i had some permanent optical damage to one of the nerves in my eye Ugh. that was the cause of the vertigo and everything else thankfully the Treatment for that was very simple. There's corrective lenses and so on. There so you go. Yeah. knock on wood, you know, that was an easy adaptation, all things considered. Right. But yeah, there was it was a slew of dog dying, grandparents dying, and it was a miserable death on my dog's part. She had bone cancer. She bled, it smelled, mm. it was filth. Right. The house smelled like death, which led in that was the prelude to everything else. And I emerged from that scarred. Yes. But at the very end of it, I had that's when I had the dream about the prince and the witch. Well, first the king and the prince in that explosion of the pause, but then about a week and a half later, the end of the book. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't written in a year. I tried. 
I tried, but the painkillers, the opioids, sure, you don't care. Right. You, you literally do not care. Yeah. Pain is there. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I learned to like that, which was the worst part, because nothing mattered. <laughs> right, right. And then, which at, yeah. At, at that time was good because things were awful. So I went through withdrawal at the end. Mm-hmm. I had to quit the opioids because I had an allergic reaction. I didn't sleep for a week and talked to the doctor. He said, well, it's either this method or rehab. Which do you want to do? I said, okay, let's do this method. After that, I started making some decisions as to what I wanted to keep and what I wanted to leave behind. Right. Which, after all of that, you kind of have to. So I, I've talked about this before, but talk, you know, we all craft our own stories of how our lives are. My coach said, you need to go on a vacation. You, you need to have a button to this to put an end to it. So I did. And at fourth or fifth week into it, or fifth week, day, I wish it was a week. <laughs> fourth or fifth day into it, I was at the sea at night, writing everything I didn't want in my life anymore into the water. And when it took too long for the water to take it, I grabbed the sand with my hands and threw it back into the ocean. <laughs> Fuck it, you have it. Yeah. The, and that was cathartic. And then the next day, I went out to the beach. I was in the sun and I started writing again. Because I had the urge to write, which I had lost for such a long time. And I couldn't not write. So went back. I started going deliberately chapter by chapter. I exercised again because I physically could, although I had to revise how I did all of it because of the injuries. Mm. I started picking apart everything I ate because it turned out I have some horrendous food allergies. So removing those from my life made me feel a lot better. And it was for a long time just a scraping off of all of that detritus to see what came next, to see what I could find. And then one day my folks texted me and said, there's this new media summit. We're signing you up for it. <laughs> and I get there and Steve Olsher says, great, now that you're here, you're going to have two minutes to pitch what you are and who you are and what you do at some point, And you're never going to know till it happens. So be ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And then it'll happen several times. <laughs> well, the way it was structured, you could talk to everyone and there were breakout sessions, but there was one central broadcast live streamed. Here's your two minutes. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And if you use your two minutes, you get no feedback. And this is to be a guest on people's shows, to find clients. Mm-hmm. I'm going, I don't even know who I am. <laughs> right. I just finished putting myself back together. <laughs> So I listened and watched and heard what worked and didn't. And I would wake up at six in the morning because I couldn't sleep anyway. I had had four months of bronchitis at that point. Why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> I had the, you know, I've got the Tylenol P of I'm taking every night, waking up at six because I sleep four hours, writing notes. And then I wrote down, I'm a storyteller and worked from there because that was the truth. Everything else I'd been, I'm a storyteller. And what that meant and why that mattered, why I do what I do. And I did my 75 seconds and there were applause. Ah, see, it's not always met with silence. <laughs> and when I think back to that, the difference was that what I said didn't just speak to the head, it spoke to the heart. Mm-hmm. And feeling and knowing that I could do that, recognizing that I was still capable of it, right? I've been writing since I was two. And I'm in my 30s. After 30 years, lost that sensation. It was devastating. So to feel it again, that I could move people, that I could tell a story and inspire them to do, to think, to feel, to be, 
I wanted to go back and try again. And now I had the means to. I had a, an end to the thing that didn't have an end before that I could work toward. Mm-hmm. I had no idea how I would get there. Just that I would start from this point of clarity of knowing that at each moment in time, I would go back and try to find the heart again and strive toward it. And that if I didn't this time, I would the next or the next or the one after. And I'm fucking stubborn. I have had people tell me to give up on this to do something else. Yeah, fuck fuck those people. <laughs> I've had people not at all understand why. And I, you know, it's fine. I get that you won't. That's okay. There are people I don't get either. Mm-hmm. But when I asked what's in that box and immediately said it's his heart it opened up the story to be what it is now right in all its weirdness and strangeness and glory and i can look back to all of that and things that occur and i can still see the truths that led to them that's how i know i'm on the right path even if i can't at a given moment describe to you how i'm at how i got to exactly where i'm at i know there were steps i took and what their shape was and why yeah and I can see them in the rest of the book. And I know that in the editing, I'll polish and refine that. But it's so different now. And I like teaching other people about how and what they do because <laughs> they're not at all like that. <laughs> in terms of how they work, some are utterly rigid world builders. And it's delightful because I have to think of ways to make that work for them. You know, we came up with a scatter chart timeline for someone who was stuck on where to begin their story. And it worked wonderfully right? because it made the big, scary thing tiny and trackable and observable. And this is never a tool I've ever used before, but it worked. So, yeah, I, for me, the, I love to do both, to write and to guide. And did, did, your, did you start the coaching? Was, was, the, was that conference and that, that moment with your 75 seconds, was that when you started the coaching or had you already been doing that work? That's, I had been doing it as business marketing, PR, et cetera, ah. and it was exhausting because I was doing some of it. Right. You know, $30,000, $40,000 contracts. These weren't small bodies of work, mm-hmm. but it was killing me. It was passion adjacent. Yeah. I was good enough at it. Yeah. Isn't that the risk too? You know, it's something that you're good enough at and it's also putting food on the table. Well, yeah, I'll, I, I, why, why would I stop? I can just keep doing this. <laughs> even though it's not quite right. <laughs> in my 20s, I wanted to be the creative director of an agency. Mm-hmm. I, was, I, I was about to say I was ambitious, but I still am. It's just at a different goal. Yeah. I had this whole vision of a creative empire I would create because that seemed to be the thing that mattered to me. And then in the moment of all of that loss, I realized it didn't. And it wasn't just the, well, you know, what do you care about and what do you not, just the people even moments in time, but it was the, if I'm going to commit myself to anything, it has to be something worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not someone who does well with half measures. And there's only so much time. Sadly, yes. Yeah. Thankfully, most of the people in my family are long-lived, but that doesn't say anything to what that life is like. Sure. So, yeah, you know, losing the ability to speak for a year by and large, being so ill that I was on the floor retching because my lungs wanted to give up everything inside them whenever I talked. Right. I dictate all my work. <laughs> yeah. That's Yeah. It was it was again a moment where I had to stop and go, all right, I know what this is like. I've been through it before. How do not how do I not just survive but thrive in it mm-hmm. and get to where I'd like to be, despite. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I mean that's that's the thing. I think 
where whenever in one's life that it occurs, you know, whether it's in your 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s, it, it might seem strange to say if we're lucky, but uh, it it can be a kind of a blessing to to be given that you know that that crucible to have to to have to go through some of those things to to recognize what matters, what's important, what you want to leave behind, what you refuse to to abandon and what truly matters uh it's you've had some some transformative moments over the last seems like decade or so but now the book that has been germinating for literally your entire life is almost done and and you and you're well no it it it, it I, what I mean is you probably couldn't you would probably still be in the I can't really see the end, you know, uh stage. And perhaps more importantly, or not more importantly, but equally importantly, you're you've arrived in a position where you're also able to share that experience and lessons to other creators. So right. having lived through the things that the life outside of writing, but also the act of having to learn how to and teach. Yeah. And, you know, I did the academic, I did the decade outside of it. Mm-hmm. I feel comfortable talking to most folks in most mediums about the tale they're trying to describe. And I just finished playing, what was it, uh, 13 Sentinels Ages from, which is this weird, multi-layered, everything potluck narrative. And the lesson I took away from it at one point was, okay, if you're going to tell story in visual format and you want people to engage in a certain behavior, here's how you can lay out so that the experience, the fiction, the world you've provided for them in a fashion that feels not just organic, but in this individual scene, helps them feel immersed, but also active. And it was a a guy buying food from a vending machine. It was a total, small, utterly pointless in the large scheme of things sequence, but it mattered so much to him <laughs> that he used this money someone gave him because he was so mad that they gave him the money and walked off. He's going to eat it all now <laughs> and munch down on everything he could buy from vending machines. And because he doesn't have a home or anywhere else to afford his food, so he's hungry. But it reminded me of a huge, uh, such a, an important lesson I import to all my students that you can't just write the big scenes. No. You can't just have the big dramatic exploding beats. You have to have the one where people do the little thing that shows so much. I mean, they all have to matter, but they're not always going to be screaming. Yeah. No. And sometimes those little subtle moments have such an impact. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I the fact that I'm now, to your point, so much more receptive and open to what can teach and using that to teach. Yeah. Yeah. So let's give the listeners who are making notes. (laughs) Let's give the listeners uh, they're, they're, who are all trying to make things, and, and most of them are indie authors or, or trying to be indie authors. Uh, uh, let's give them, perhaps, if you can capsulize your lessons that you've, that you've managed to, to, to bring into your own life as, as a creator and as someone who teaches creators. What's, uh, it, it's, I realize that there is no one most important thing, but what is the thing that you keep coming back to that, that, that's sort of your lodestone? So it's funny. I had to, in the last year for my business, come up with a couple free tools, I suppose, or introductory things to the way I think mm-hmm. on your own. And I know you weren't trying to get me to plug anything, but <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> If you go to whystoriescell.com slash guide, you'll find what I call the seven great rules, reflections, or guides to writing stories that sell. And 
I don't just mean sell financially. I mean resonate, connect with, inspire people toward that better life. And they are seven insights I've had over time given to me by my experiences by others in life. The way I've worded them isn't the only way they can be worded. They're just the way I'd say them. And I don't like to call them just rules because they are like a Zen cone, hopefully easy enough to grasp, but hard to master. Mm. And one of the earliest is ask yourself, what if, and follow to why. Because it's the fastest way to get around everything else. And it certainly bring. And it certainly doesn't only apply to to crafting a story. That's that's no. just good life advice. <laughs> but the that moment you feel like it can't be or it shouldn't be or it must not be or I want it to be, or it seems just too bizarre and possibly strange or weird, or I don't know where this is going. Take the leap. Mm-hmm. You don't know until you've landed and followed it through to what else it might lead. And one of them later on, for instance, this is borrowed from John Hodgman, but specificity is the soul of narrative. Yes. Well, yeah, and we, we talked earlier about how specificity is universal. You know, it's, it's, it's the doorway to universal. The book is called Here Be Tigers. I had to find out why. I didn't, I didn't go on this show into how and why I presented that way. The brand is the book and the name in, on this episode, but it's tigers. Why? As in Blake's tiger, tiger, but tigers with an S, meaning mm. multiple. Yeah. And partly because if you read through the poem, you'll see it infused in the sentiments within in the book and the prologue as it is now, as Psalm 23 was before. More importantly, though, one point in Connor's childhood, when he was a miserable little brat of a child and got into a fight with his oldest brother, his parents were divorced and his dad gave him back to his mother. I'm done with this one. I can't take it anymore. So she takes him upstairs to the attic, little window seat, you know, the triangle attic windows with the cushion that gets turned into a bed with a pillow and all that. And she's carrying up this little stuffed toy she's made. And here I am on the trail once again going, well, it can be a stuffed toy, but it has to be not just a stuffed toy, but a specific one. What does it look and feel like? <laughs> I think I see where this is going. <laughs> a, a little stuffed tiger out of plush and velour, velvet and felt, and whatever else made she could find. Right. That she just, had, and they have this little talk about this tiger she's giving him and everything it can eat, but tigers eat people, don't they? Well, no, this one eats feelings too. How do you know? Because I said so. Because it's magic, right? <laughs> because it just does. Because we all do that or had that done to us as children, where they don't know the truth they have to give us for us to accept the action they want us to take. But fundamentally, because I'm telling you this is the way the world is, so believe it, please. And here he is as a child, having this little magical totem that can be the monster that he's not supposed to be. I I should have known it would always be a tiger, but it was a a what-if-to-why moment. Okay, it's a stuffed toy, but right, it has to be. And not just because it's branded or motif or whatever, for all these other reasons already embedded into the story, has to be a tiger like this that she put together out of whatever scraps of cloth were still on the house because they have seven kids. <laughs> and he's the youngest. He's not going to get new clothes. He's not going to get new toys. Right. Even if she cares deeply about him. Yeah. And he suddenly foisted upon her again. It was such a weird, sad, beautiful moment. And the only reason I arrived at it is that Connor essentially went on an acid trip reflecting back on his past. That's a, that's a non-narrative bound way to describe it. He did some things to go somewhere he couldn't have been otherwise to see what happened before in a different light. That's the actual mechanical thing that happened. And this is one of those scenes that he's reminded of. Mm-hmm. And that was surreal. Everything that led to this weird, beautiful moment was surreal. But if I had never taken the leap to do the surreal in the first place, this scene I would never find. So 
Yeah, go to whystories.com slash guide. It's useful for two reasons. One, you can take it on your own, apply it when you like. But importantly, on the second page, there's a self-evaluation for what you're awesome at and what you need help with. You don't ever need to reach out to me unless you want to. But I think it's incredibly useful to just be honest. What do I struggle with of these? What am I great at? If I'm great at these things, how do I keep being great at them while I work on the rest? That's the majority of what my coaching is day in and day out. That's, oh yeah, absolutely. Helping people figure out the questions to ask themselves because they usually already have the answer. They just don't know how to get there. Right. And the rest of it, as I talked about, like with the scattered chart, scattered chart timeline, is our tools we either have on hand or we modify or devise to work with what you're trying to write in the medium you like best suit who you are at the time. Right. Right. And, and, and to be aware that that will change and that is changing and it's going to be different. And uh, yeah, it's, it's keeping our eyes open, I think, <laughs> in, in every way, you know, being, being open to different approaches, different, different points of view, even coming back around to things that we, we may have rejected. It's, it's almost a cliche to say that, you know, artists have to be constantly learning but uh, I think that is self-awareness. That is the engine of empathy, is, is to be aware that you don't know enough at all times. <laughs> when I realized Adam was blind, I had to look back at the prologue because I freaked out. Oh, God, do I have to rewrite this again? <laughs> and then there he is in the book, and the first thing he does is tell himself what things smell like and right. feel like and taste like and making contact with what he can yeah. touch. Because that proves they're real. Yeah. Which you had known, but apparently forgotten. <laughs> I had known, but not known in a way that I could fully articulate. Right. So, because when someone asked him, you're, you know, since you're blind, he said, I've always been. And I stopped, considered the truths that led to this place and reviewed, redid the scene again and arrived in the same place. Mm -hmm. So it's true. And when, you know, I had the fear, I had the anxiety, I had all of that. And I went, okay, what if, let's see where this is going. I don't know. Let's find. And when I came home and finished my rite and ritual, I opened up the prologue the next day and I read through it and breathed an immense sigh of relief. <laughs> yeah. Writing is as writing is numinous. It is awesome and terrifying. It will leave you speechless at times. But and I use the word writing here for any creative work. Yeah. I don't know how to live a life where I don't. Yeah, uh, agreed. Uh, you know, and when, whether through circumstance or or other things intruding or getting in the way, or just the responsibilities or life or illness or whatever it might be, when the writing or the creativity is—I'm speaking for myself—when it's when it's diminished or not as active a part of my life, yeah, things start to go off the rails. <laughs> that. Uh, that means of expression, I guess for some of us, it's, it's simply integral. You know, it's, it's, you can't ignore it. If you do, it's, it's, there, there will be consequences. <laughs> I told a, a friend of mine who was struggling with an audience that they didn't expect to have who wanted them to change the story in ways they didn't like, not to go into any details, but essentially the story was closer to Watership Down than Fraggle Rock. Sure. And some folks wanted Fraggle Rock. And those are two very different tales. <laughs> but they were also deeply interested in the story and, you know, would have been paying. So there's the financial struggle of, well, do I change to sell 
the product to the people who want to buy it that I didn't expect to want to buy it and compromise what I think is the right tale. And I said, you have to keep in mind, artists have a heart of glass. It resonates with everything. That doesn't mean we have to chew. That doesn't mean we have to keep all of it, right? Doesn't mean we have to let it all stay inside. But we are, by our nature, going to respond and feel and react to it and feel it immensely because that's how we convey from ourselves to someone else the world that didn't exist before but does now in their hands or to their eyes. And what did he decide? They ended up relaunching their social channels so that the folks that they had intended to write for have continued to follow them and told everyone else, this is an 18 plus story. If that's okay with you, continue reading. If not, please don't. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it makes me think too, also of, of the, the painters who will, will put weeks or months or years into a painting and have no qualms at all about, Hey, I sold that. <laughs> because that's the point, you know, uh, they know there'll be another painting and that. It, it, oh, absolutely. There is, there is nothing at all wrong with creating to sustain yourself physically, financially. If, you know, I, Jerry Pornell, I saw at an event at a panel and someone asked him, how do you write? And he said, well, we eventually started looking for who buys our books. And he said, it was mostly middle-aged women. So I started writing for them. <laughs> right. And did very well for himself. Mm-hmm. That doesn't change what makes for a great story. No. And it doesn't change the fact that you still have to, I think, you you still will probably get closer to those great stories if you're still kind of writing to heart, to your heart. I think there's there's there can easily be a, uh, I won't say compromise, but a place that can do both. There's an audience that will respond to both. Needs, wants, desires. Mm-hmm. What do I need right now? What do I want as soon as I can? What will I dedicate my life to? Yeah. Any character in a story, fictional or not, has those. Yes. And we identify with them mm-hmm. or don't. But those are how we decide. And the rest of the truths of story of, of the world itself, those can change as you write to different audience, different medium, for different reasons. But heart of the scene, heart of the character, heart of the world, it's all fundamentally, I use the word heart because it is specifically as physical as it is metaphysical. Mm-hmm. It's a thing you can grasp and a thing that impacts. Mm-hmm. So that's the language I use because it is emotive, but also descriptive and pragmatical. If you don't have it, it's dead. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> if your scene lacks a heart, it is not alive. So, <laughs> And if your life lacks a heart, <laughs> it is not alive, yes. Unless you're, you know, a cyborg who writes, and that might be interesting. Yeah, or or a guy who has to wait until his dad gives it back to him in a box. I told my friend of many years that, and he goes, thank you, thank you. It only took you 11 years <laughs> to accept that your story is not purely real and realistic <laughs> Yeah, well, that's kind of what we've been saying is, is sometimes you've got to go through some things to to get to the to the core of it. Indeed. So where other than uh, whystoriessell.com, sure. where should people go to find everything about you and your work and the work you do for others? So follow the podcast Here Be Tigers and whatever app you like, that's with a Y. We interview folks about how they connect with the market audience and tribe. We workshop stories that people are trying to write, both my own and others, in whatever medium they like. And then sometimes we do performance pieces as well, usually toward the end of the year. But in between, we have a bit of fun too. I should send you the link to the one we 
somehow ended up with, I think, cannibalism, ice cream, and androids on. <laughs> Not at all where we expected that to go, but there's a, it's a great tool to exercise your, not only your suspension of disbelief, but also practice how to let go of everything you think should be. Mm. Outside of that, at HP Tigers, at HP Tigers rather on Instagram, Twitter, I'm still Jacer the Realist because I was on there a long time ago. I'll send you that in the show notes. And if you want to have a free session with me to talk about either the self-evaluation you've done or just need someone to help you figure out what next to do with where you're at in your writing, 20 Minutes to Brilliance, that's 20minutestobrilliance.com slash tigers. That's how you can sign up for my free sessions. I'm online elsewhere, but those are usually the best places to find me. If you want to be a guest, reach out to me by social, that's cool. You want to have me as a guest on your show? Awesome, let's talk as well. Matt, I know you and I have to talk about world building during one of our next episodes. Oh, that'll be fun. Certainly. Certainly. A lot to go into there. So on one of one or the others of our shows, keep for you know, keep an eye out for that. <laughs> yes. Subscribe, 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 which I, you know, I always do the the spiel at the end. Uh if folks want to or missed any of those links, of course, uh, I will have all that stuff in the show notes so that you can you can find Jared and uh and, and go deeper. Go deeper. I think this has been great. I, I appreciate that, you know, you took I'm looking at the clock. Uh, <laughs> close to <laughs> close to three hours, two two hours and forty five minutes, or something like that. Mm. And uh, I I didn't have to actually live with my mother to take care of her, but I was very much involved on a almost every other day basis. So I understand what a what a tremendous uh, amount of work yeah. that takes. So mm. I really appreciate you taking the time that you did today. Uh, that could have been spent doing that or working on your own stuff or, or, you know, helping clients or whatnot. Yeah. Thankfully I don't have to live with them anymore, but I am, it's, you know, because of where things are at with her health and my dad's, I pretty much have to be there every day to do something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, we all, I won't say we all, but it's, it's something that we, most of us end up having to do at some point. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's the, the, the the turn of the cycle, right? Mm. <laughs> it's it's eventually it's our turn. Oh, I when it comes my time, they're putting me in a rocket to outer space. <laughs> well, it'll, it'll be a good view, right? I interstellar exploration in my nineties. Let's do it. Right. <laughs> Old man's war. It worked perfectly in there. Exactly. <laughs> all right, Jared. Thank you very much again. And uh, yeah, I'll have all the links and stuff in the show notes. And uh, yeah, it's been great. Awesome, man. I'm glad to be on the show and I'm looking forward to our next episode. A good story can excite us, yes. But the best ones, fiction or not, compel, inspire, or drive us toward the hope that we need for a better life. Remember, you don't need to know everything right now, but you do need to write. So make sure to like, review, and subscribe to us at Here Be Tigers. And until next time, take life by the tail.